Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and redeemer. Amen. Well, St. Michael's, I must admit to you, it has finally happened to me. Um, The (laughs) lectionary text in which I chose to prepare for you this morning was indeed not read. (laughs) So, here we go. Um, This is the great thing about preaching from the lectionary, is that there's a myriad of readings that we get to choose from, but we didn't select mine today. So, in order for you to hear what I have prepared for you, I want to read to you from the prophet of Amos. This comes from the 8th chapter, verses 1 through 12. This is what the Lord God showed me, a basket of summer fruit. He said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The songs of the temple shall become wailings on that day, says the Lord God. The dead bodies shall be many, cast out in every place. Be silent. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring to ruin the poor on the land, saying, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for sale? We will make the epith smaller and the shekel heavier and practice deceit with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and the selling the sweepings of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on the account and everyone mourn who lives in it? And all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. On that day, says the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on all loins and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun at the end of it like a bitter day. The time is surely coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or thirst for water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to south. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Part of my excitement comes because I wrote a paper on this last semester. (laughs) So one of the things that I love about being Episcopalian is the fact that we subscribe to the Revised Common Lectionary. And as your seminarian, I truly hope that I can bring a word or two from it when I am blessed to preach. While our subscription to the lectionary is often a blessing, it can also be a curse. Take today, for example. I'm given the choice... To preach on a sort of spiritual personality test and the archetype of women's roles in ministry according to Luke, or pestilence, famine, and destruction in the oracle by Amos. So naturally, I choose the latter. (laughs) Because who doesn't want to be the one to help us examine our successes and promises God has given us, make great connections on how we are journeying into them, And then turn around and say, yeah, that's great and all, 
But let us look at how we're failing God's people. Sounds fun, right? <laughs> Let's jump into it. At the beginning of the passage, Amos tells the high priest that he has received from God a very dramatic vision. God had shown Amos a basket of summer fruit, which in this case is better translated as ripe fruit. Fruit that is ready to be picked. In other words, God said to Amos that the time has come to reap. The verses that follow indicate that this is not about the people reaping a bountiful harvest for sharing, but rather the reaping of a people who had not measured up. Amos preaches a message of judgment here because of Israel's treatment of the poor. Amos was a shepherd and a farmer from the village of Tekoa just outside of Jerusalem in the southern kingdom of Judah. But God sends him to the northern kingdom of Israel to prophesy. Amos sees visions and proclaims the message of God, and as most oracles are, it was not a popular message in the middle of the 8th century BC during the reign of King Jeroboam II of Israel, because a message of judgment isn't very popular. And yet, Amos continued to prophesy because God required the message be proclaimed. The problem Amos sees with the people in Israel was that these people worshipped God and claimed to follow the commandments, but their lives depicted a completely different story. If this behavior continues for a while, we know that God is not mocked and God will eventually judge the people. So in this vision, Amos, God shows Amos, the prophet, a basket of summer fruit, with the basket signifying the end of Israel. The reason this image is so compelling and clear is because what happens to a basket of fruit over time? It rots, exactly. I like this illustration because its simplicity would be exactly what a shepherd or a farmer might use. George Buttrick argues in his Old Testament commentary that this stark and ominous interpretation of Amos' vision is further emphasized here by the deliberate use of language around summer fruit and end. In the Hebrew language, these two words sound very similar, and in Amos' tactical employment of these similar-sounding words that contain very different meanings— Amos uses a type of wordplay that the subsequent, that subsequent prophets later invoke and has a far more profound impact upon the hearer of the prophecy than the one who reads it because of the oral storytelling culture. Like the setting of the plumb line against a wall to measure its deviation, another very hard oracle to read that's in our lectionary, there is an element of finality about a basket of summer fruit As the northern kingdom cheats and scoundrels parade their piety and masquerade as believers while having hardened hearts and their actions speaking otherwise. Their day of judgment did eventually come as the northern kingdom was utterly decimated by Assyria and its people taken away, lost to history. While it took about 30 years from the time Amos prophesied until the end of this people to occur, it still happened. But what, pray tell, did the people do to provoke utter devastation and permanent destruction? Well, their words and deeds were not in alignment. 
The merchants defrauded and cheated with false scales and overcharged for wheat. The poor were trampled upon and were sold into slavery, driven by debt. Israel's oppression of and lack of interest in and avoidance of the poor and needy among them led to their demise. Instead of abundant fruit, there will be famine. Instead of happy song, the darkest lament. Instead of bright future of riches and ease, lives were given over into emptiness. But it turns out that material loss is not the worst thing that can happen. The loss of fruit is not the worst misfortune. No, listen to what Amos says in verses 11 and 12. The time is surely coming, says the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east, to and fro, seeking a word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. The very worst evil that can befall us is no longer to hear a word from God. What? This doesn't make sense. Surely, when we profess into this church, we listen to these readings, we listen to a preacher's illuminations of the readings, and we sing these hymns. Surely, we hear from God. But do we really? According to Amos, while the poor are belittled, rejected, and forgotten, while the needy are shoved aside in favor of the rich, no amount of reading and preaching or singing and praying can ever lead us out of that path of destruction. But what do we do about it? Today it's important to remember as we read Amos' words spoken in the temple that being created in the image of God and with the traits of God's character is a gift. And the closer we get to truly living out the character that God has instilled in us, the closer we get to the world in which God created for us in the beginning. The world that is meant to be a dwelling place where we can find absolute satisfaction and where we can be more than we ever imagined because enough room exists for everyone to thrive. Today's issue, as it was then, is that some have forgotten the God of creation and have brought forth destruction. And we're all guilty by some measure. Amos said the actions of the entire societies of Israel and Judah would suffer because they had separated their faith from their lives. People were living calm lives in luxury and plenty because they had stolen from the poor by cheating people's wages and charging more than an item was worth. By disobeying the Sabbath and waiting for it to be over simply for a new business day to start, maybe in doing so, they ignored rest. By not allowing freedom to anyone but themselves, they bind the poor to be poor forever, and there is no love in that. They have made themselves so powerful that they did not trust in God and had little faith. God warns them and us, by saying that the fruit is ripe to pick. But why was God ready to reap? The actions of those in Israel and Judah had increased the ways they were falling from each other and were indeed leading to the end. 
That is what makes the prophetic writings so hard. If you watch the people's failures throughout the course of the book of Amos, you see the larger failings of the northern kingdom and their leadership who have militarily and financially become strong, yet have failed to keep their people practicing the justice of God. While it may sound like doom and gloom, I promise if we can get through it, we will get to the recognition that God's goodness will reach its end. But God is going to judge. The story has nowhere else to go. That's the whole point of the warning. We know that Israel is judged and wind up, winds up in exile. And yet, when we read these texts in hindsight, we know that there's a restoration. But it's because we know this. We don't get to act like it's not important in the moment. The present moments of practicing justice and loving our neighbor seems to be what is really getting God's attention. God isn't going to stop being faithful, but our unfaithfulness will be judged. Let me say that again. God isn't going to stop being faithful, but our unfaithfulness will be judged. God's real warning is reminding people of an eventual tipping point the ripe season. But God's warning is not separated from God's love. Though it may be hard to read, I believe it came with a message of hope. Hope in knowing that the kingdom of God is indeed here among us on earth. God never owes us any revelation or warning, but God did so through the prophets we read like Amos. And he does so today amongst us all because God loves us and wants us to thrive on the earth that was created for good. There is hope in knowing that we do not need to look anywhere else to find the things we need to remedy this fragile situation. Why else would God call that out? Why would God, te- why would God tell his people what harm they were doing unless they could do something about it? In this passage, God lists tragedies and misfortunes that would ensue if Israel and Judah did not act. The message was to all of Israel, suggesting that the society at large bears responsibility for creating oppressive circumstances. It is not just in the hands of the high priest or the king himself that the situation can be remedied. Everyone has a role, and therefore everyone has a stake in the thriving or sinking of the world. I don't know about you, but I've been thinking a lot about this because the news has me reeling almost every day. I know that we must continue to pay attention, but it's overwhelming. The work is so great and the damage is so large. Amos reminds us that no, we do do not need to wait for the future, and we certainly do not need to look for anyone else. Amos himself was not a trained or prepared to be a prophet, but he still had the capabilities because he was called by God. We too are called by God, and we too were created to bring God's character onto earth. Amos's prophecy forces us to look at the injustice that surround us, and it calls us to action, despite the action or inaction of our fellow citizens. 
Amos's prophecy is a beacon and an example in which we see the consequences of our inactions and lack of movement on the issues related to human dignity and respect. By standing against oppressors and raising the voices of the marginalized, we can create a world that is worthy of the love that God has bestowed on us and reap a harvest of justice unlike any we have seen before. For this is the way in which we uphold our portion of the covenant covenant we are so unworthily a part of. Amen.